0: Screw it. Screw it. We're just talk, talk about, about comics. Hello, welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Will Hines. I'm one of the two co-hosts of this show. And let me introduce the other one. Uh, that's me. He's talking about Kevin Hines, Will's uh, brother and co-host. Yes, this is uh, the only podcast where uh, two guys are talking about comic books. Uh, they also happen to be brothers and we're sort of comedians. And um, yeah, we're we're happy to be here. Yeah, uh, this is our mutants and mailbags uh, periodic episode. Yeah. Uh, we just did one two weeks ago, so right now it's very regular, but it won't be this regular always. Um, it's where we'll talk about Uncanny X Men by Chris Claremont, and then read some emails. Yeah, this is uh, as we've said before. Chris Claremont's X Men run is a huge, glaring gap in Kevin and Kevin's and my knowledge. We've often said it is one of, if not, uh, it is definitely the most important Marvel run since the birth of Marvel. And yet we had not read it. (laughs) And what's, what's extra dumb is it was going on while we were reading, like when we were kids, like when we Mm -hmm. were like hardcore, like reading, like everything that was coming out, like I was like, but only, only the best parts of it. (laughs) So it is kind of extra dumb. um, That, that we missed it. Uh, I guess. Um, well, I don't know. Well, so so we're we're making up for that uh, uh, by giving half an episode now and then <laughs> to the X Men, and uh, today we're gonna we start we're starting with uh, X Men ninety eight. Yeah, we're gonna cover ninety eight to one hundred mm-hmm. and three, um, and I'm loving it. And then we're gonna do some emails too. We're gonna go over some emails. So, Kev, right. uh, should we dive into this mutant stuff? Let's get into it. Well, so I'm on the side of the Sentinels. I'm like, let's get rid of <laughs> interesting. Um, Uh, get rid of the muties. I say muties go home. Mm -hmm. Uh, who needs them? You know what I mean? As a homo sapien, I am freaked out by these homo superiors. I should point out, Will, that you've often chosen the wrong side in these sorts of things. I know you Mm -hmm. were a pro Mussolini guy for a while. He seemed on top of his stuff. He seemed, uh, yeah, a little brutal, uh, a little murdery, but... Um, uh, uh, you let Trump uh, stay at your place when he was in L.A., when he was uh, trying to run for president? Only because we were going to voting machines and trying to stop mm-hmm. the steal, baby, stop sure, the steal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just I just feel like, uh, yeah, just be careful about which side you pick. I'm still waiting the for the, the book cumul- is called. <laughs> The book is called Uncanny X-Men, not those wondrous sentinels. I never read the titles of books. I just uh sure. you know, I just those wondrous <laughs> sentinels. What a book. <laughs> I mean, just just like a book whose narrator is in love with the sentinels. Just like <laughs> those those wondrous sentinels. That sounds like a really happy, like <laughs> the magnificent Ambersons kind of like mid like 1940s or 50s old movie or something. It sounds like a um <laughs> Like a, a propaganda documentary <laughs> that would show like students, right? Like about like uh, those uh, wondrous the, sentinels, the amazing ab- abattoir, and the y- wondrous yeah. sentinels—a <laughs> um, uh, modern marvel of mutant killing. <laughs> <laughs> How lucky we are to have these big purple and bl- uh, blue! Mm. I do like the sentinels' color scheme. They're 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 yeah. very rad. I, I I overall loved these six issues we read. I, I do have weird little problems with it, like not problems. Um, Ooh, I love it. Let's. I love the uh, Kevin Kevin Hines hot taste. Yeah, um, I do. I do admire your taste, and I and I am one to get very caught up with enthusiasm when I'm reading yeah. something, and I get temporarily blind to faults. Well, it, it, some of the, my complaints are just basically true. Of probably all 70s comics, right? Like some of the issues with this is just like how quick certain things progress. Like throughout this issue, Storm talks about how Jean is like her good good friend. And I'm like, they, they met spent like, like three one issues together. issue together, yeah. yeah. Like Jean wasn't in the first few issues; she showed up to to say, uh, you know, have a good vacation, Professor X. And now they're best friends, yeah. And like that feels very weird to me. Yeah, that you're, that is a real old comic booky thing where they want a relationship to exist, so you're just told that it exists. This is this is like in the old the Kirby FFs when we were told how smart Reed was but he rarely did anything smart. He just was, we were just told he was smart. Yeah. So there's a couple of moments in this, these like five or six issues where it just feels like we, we've zipped past. We're just like, we're treating these, this team, like it's been around already for 20 years. Like if I picked up these six issues and not the five before it, I would assume this had been the team for a while. Like when they faced juggernaut um, he knows who they are. Uh, Everyone hates, everyone's like, oh, these are the X-Men. I'm like, wouldn't you see these guys and go like, hey, where's Angel? Where's Iceman? Like, this is not the team I expected. Cyclops wasn't even there. Like, there's nobody that Juggernaut has ever fought before, Mm -hmm. I think. And he's just like, ah, the X-Men, finally I'll defeat you. It's like, well, you'll defeat, I don't know. It'd be like, uh, the last time I faced the Red Sox, uh, Ted Williams hit a home run off me. Now I'm going to get him. And then like Dustin Pedroia comes up to bat and I'd be like, i'm gonna get you finally he's like i don't know you dude uh, not not just that but dustin Pedroya, good base running skills uh good power <laughs> and average like he knows everything about these guys yeah, right that, yeah, that yeah. is the thing about like older comics i feel like whatever the reader knows just everybody in the universe kind of magically knows for the yeah for the sake of like speeding along the plot there's also this weird thing and again Overall, I think I think these Kevin, six I, issues are better than the previous oh, I, five yeah. we read. The, we can, we're already seeing, like, modern X-Men start to take shape pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but there's something about, like, the, the first five issues we read two weeks ago uh, where they were, like, fighting Eric the Red, a character I've never heard of. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and then who else? And they, like, fought some, like, dream monsters. And, like, this issue, the Sentinels come back, and they look cool, but they're also, like, weaker versions. And, like... I guess it, like modern reboots have sort of changed uh, how I read this because I sort of read this and go like, well, this might have gotten a lot of new readers in. Like, oh, who are these new characters? I'm going to pick up this comic. I've never read X-Men before. And they picked this up and be like, it's the Sentinels again. And like, well, I've never seen them before. Oh, these are weak, easily destroyed robots. <laughs> they don't so seem that cool. So you're saying there's no reason to bring back bad versions of the yeah. old continuity because your new readers don't care and you're also doing bad versions of it. So right. you can only so you th- take the very best of the old stuff. Overall, I would think if I was going to reboot the X-Men, like if X-Men only existed as the movies and 30 years had passed, and I'm like, hey, remake the movies. I would, I, would, I would be like, all right, let's take the best stuff from those movies and then yeah. new stuff. Not any of the bad stuff right now until we need it. Yeah. And certainly I wouldn't be like, oh, X-Men 2 is a really good movie. Let's bring back those characters, but like depower them. Okay. <laughs> That'll be an interesting twist. Kev, I love all of your, I, this is sincere. I love all your takes on comics. It's one of the things I look forward to in this podcast, but I'm going to push back a little bit. I But I have a weird pushback. Oh, okay. it's that, I, I mean, I think you're basically right. Like they seem, it seems kind of arbitrary so far, which of the old X-Men stuff they're taking with them. Um, And they also are kind of just rushing the development of the characters, you know, like you say, acting like yeah. they've been around for 20 years. Um, and that, weirdly, is a lesser complaint because that's just 70s comics as opposed to, like, 90s comics. Well, actually, a side thing. I was re-watching Star Wars. Um, last, I've heard of it. Uh, six months ago. Oh, you got to check sure. it out. You'd really love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had war games last episode. No, Star Wars really yeah. modernizing this podcast. Um, but. I, I, just, I hadn't seen it in a while. I love that movie. It was just we're talking the first Star Wars movie. The very first New Hope, 1977, yeah. Star Wars. Uh, the I know the very first was. movie, episode four. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I was on Disney Plus. I was watching like WandaVision or something, and Star Wars was sort of, I was like, oh, I could just watch Star Wars right now. And I watched it. And um which by the way, when I was a kid to have access to just all the Star Wars movies on my at a touch of a fingertip would just be incredible. Like it would be, that would be the thing as a child that'd be most excited about the future. I'd be like, wait a minute, I get to have access to all those Star Wars movies? It is both awesome and also sort of freezing. Like sometimes I'm like, I should watch this movie again. There's too many choices. I won't watch anything. Yes, I totally agree. I sometimes go the wrong way with it. But um, it's really funny how quickly the main characters of Star Wars become emotionally attached. Like we see Luke Skywalker discovers his, His uh, Aunt Beru and his Uncle Owen as skeletons, like a kind of a grisly scene, you know, killed by the uh, Empire. Um, And he's sad, but he's kind of stone faced about it. And and that makes his resolve that he has to leave the planet and go with Ben, right? That really makes him take start the adventure. Mm -hmm. Then Ben gets killed by Darth Vader in the duel. Uh, and he is way more distraught. But I'm like, you've known this guy for one day, yeah, and you saw the people who raised you burnt to a crisp, and you were mostly okay with it, like mostly yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty chill. <laughs> like, even if you didn't, even if you didn't like them and you resented them for hold, holding you back, but it also seemed like he got along with them well. It wasn't like it wasn't like they were like Harry Potter's muggle mm. parents or something. It, that certainly is true. It's also like some of that is helped by like acting, right? Like you got to see uh, Alec Guinness, being like Alec Guinness, and Mark Hamill, yeah, like Bond, and you got to see these two actors. Absolutely, have chemistry I, together. I, it never bumped me before in my many views. I was just like, it is weird yeah. that he's known. The, and like Leia is like immediate, like Leia knows them for less than a day, like an afternoon. And they're like best friends hugging each other and stuff Uh, like I'm reading, reading, rereading the uh, Roger Stern era Spider-Man comics and also the Bill Mantlo spectacular Spider-Man comics that were done at the same time. And in spectacular, he falls in love with the black cat and it happens like in a panel. (laughs) It's you know, it's like the black cat sort of makes uh, flirts with him and he's like, oh, she's attractive. This is sort of interesting. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm in love with her. And then, yeah. like by the next panel, he's like, "You dare threaten the woman I love!" And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, dude! <laughs> yeah, whoa, what's our first date, basically?" Yeah. Uh, but those, uh, but and those, she, those, she feels but the same way about it, and that feels too much too fast. And I'm like, "Oh, this doesn't. I don't buy this relationship." But am I right that like none of this bumped me when I was a kid? Like, I never, I never remember thinking, "Oh, this is happening too fast." Well, I didn't read these comics, okay, as a kid, so I don't, I don't actually know. I. I do think, like, look at those Ditko Spider-Man comics with him and Betty Brant. He wasn't, like, madly in love with her immediately. Yeah. He yeah. just sort of asked her out, and they went out for a while. And then he liked her, and he cared about her. But he did also, like, ask out Liz Allen when she wasn't around. Yeah. Uh, so it, it never I felt think... like he was magically instantly in love with her. He sort of asked her out because she was sort of his age and around, and he was mm-hmm. a different person mm-hmm. at the Bugle. Yeah. He was, like, an and, adult and... at the Bugle. And even like Reed and Sue, like their relationship, I mean, they get married pretty quick and have a kid pretty quick, but it's all on the page. Like we see them together for a long time. We see like Reed jealous of her with Namor. It wasn't just like issue one, he's meeting her and falling in love with her at the same time. Well, Ditko was great. Um, Also, we have to remember these issues would come out a month apart. So Two months at this point. uh, These X-Men are two months apart. So like that in a way, even though Storm and... The, if you're reading every month, it's been two months that Storm in, has been in your mind. Yeah. So, so like, uh, there is also the aspect of some of these issues lead right into the next one. So it's not like that much time has passed for them. Like there is i i think gaps for the at reader, some point. Mm-hmm. The reader's relationship to the characters has had yeah. two months to grow. So like that yes. might help them accelerate the in-continuity sure. relationship. Um, um, what I was going to say about like stuff like um, what you're saying, like bringing back the Sentinels is kind of a weird choice and they're a weaker version i don't have any argument of why that particular decision is good but just in general i do kind of like it when comic books feel a bit slapdash and improvised i like it when they don't feel too labored like when i feel like the writer and the artist are just trying stuff and some stuff's gonna work and some stuff isn't like the movies you know there's so much money at stake so many so many cooks in the kitchen I do enjoy them, but they feel rigid in a way. Sure. And the comics feel nicely fluid. So ironically, when there's something dumb, it kind of makes me feel like, oh, it's human. In a weird way, the, the the mistakes of Marvel Comics make them fun as much as their good decisions. And yeah. I like that. I mean, look, the Sentinels are great uh, the, without question. And Juggernaut is so cool. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to bring in Magneto when he comes back? you want these guys in the X-Men books. These, I, I don't know how they read. I'd never, I've never read the Jack Kirby era stuff or whatever. Yeah, we'll do it next. Whoever followed uh, <laughs> him. So I've never read the original run of the X-Men other than I think issue one. Yeah. Um, so, but it's like, uh, well, for whatever it is, like the Sentinels and Juggernaut look cool. Definitely bring them back. I'm just saying, don't bring back Eric, the red don't bring back count Nefaria. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's kind of a weird, uh, at least invent a new count Nefaria. I mean, unless unless I think that's what maybe that was Len Wein and he just loved that character. I don't Could know. Be, yeah. Um, and maybe this is Claremont putting his stamp. Now he's bringing in the characters he liked and he's got better taste. Is it ch- there's a chance that that we'll see where it goes from there. Those are my uh, only two really big complaints. So it it feels weird to reboot the series, treat these characters like longstanding X-Men mm-hmm. and then also like retread old X-Men stuff. Where it's like, I established these guys. I have that complaint with movies sometimes where it's like, you, your hero gets the powers and then he goes up against his arch nemesis next scene. And I'm like, oh, you went right from getting yeah. bit by a spider to fighting the Green Goblin. I want to see you catch more muggers. Uh, TV is better for comic book adaptations yes. than movies for, for that reason. People and just really- character development in general. Yeah, But movies comics are, have movies, that advantage, movies, right? Movies are bad. Movies are bad. TV That's is why good. Star Wars is bad and no one likes it. That's why Star Wars did not work and nobody watched it. If it was a TV series, you would have had seasons of Luke and Obi-Wan bonding mm-hmm. before you sliced him in half. Montage of them like shooting wombats down in Beggar's mm-hmm. Canyon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. or whatever it was. I don't remember what they shot in Beggar's Canyon. But So, uh, what generally happens here? Th- this is the new X-Men. Um, Professor X is going on vacation. The Sentinels invade. Yeah, and- it starts at Christmas. Uh, we see the, uh, Jack and Stan at one point. Yeah, we see a bunch of cameos. Oh, I didn't. Are there uh, more besides that? On the first page, there's Nick Fury and Matt Murdock. Oh, that's fun. Uh, on the next page is Superman and Lois Lane. What? I didn't see Superman and Lois Lane. On the second page, just they're in the corner. They're walking. Out, they're walking out of frame. I don't uh, see this. And then yeah, then Jack. Oh my and Stan gosh! You're right. It's the Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Yeah, it's unquestionably them. Oh, it's so fun! I mean, there I might know... be other people too that I'm not recognizing. This is issue 98. We're talking about the title yeah. is "Merry Christmas, X-Men." I kind of love it when they play up the New York part of Marvel Comics. I love it, like when they because they're going to Rockefeller Center and looking at the tree, and there's the ice skaters. Also, I think on the ice is Doctor Doom. Oh, you're All right the way on the right. Yes, I just saw, I got. Or, it. At least it looks like him. I mean, that might just that be Doctor Doom ice skating. That is genius. That's better than those wondrous sentinels. We got to see like ice skating Dr. Doom. Um, So yeah, it's filled with cameos in a weird way. This issue, despite the fact that it doesn't introduce the characters feels like this is the new X-Men. Right. um, It feels like such a fresh start here. Uh, Part of that is maybe affected because Marvel's very recently. uh, Pusaic and Ross did like a Marvel's eight page addition to their book. And it was, Tied into this. Oh, really? I've never read this issue, but I've read this Marvel's adaption of it, and of course, it is great. Um, that's so fun. Well, um, we see there's a the on page two. Uh, uh we see and we're not, not going to go page by. Page, we're not going, pages, going page but, by page, but just like this is a fun moment: Jean Grey and Scott Summers kiss, and they are they are a couple, but they have this kind of passionate kiss because she's kind of just overwhelmed with the romance of the situation. And Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are behind them. And Jack says, hey, Stan, you know who they were? I tell you, they never used to do that when we had the book. And Stan goes, ah, Jack, you know, these young kids, they got no respect. First of all, I'm always a fan of the forced meta appearances of Stan Lee in the Marvel books and Jack yeah, yeah. Kirby. They're corny. They're dumb. I love them. But this they are making a statement here, which is like, we're going to be doing things differently with these new X-Men. And uh, I'm, I got excited for it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's have romance. Let's have love. Let's have the people. I mean, the, the X-Men is young passion. Like, I think that's what they've got that the other Marvel books don't have. I generally don't love meta stuff, but I didn't mind. For some reason, maybe because it's an old comic, I'm like, oh, this is fun. Also, because they included Jack. It wasn't just Stan. Uh, they included Claire, Jack. Yeah. Claremont and Cockrum know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Plus, you know, at this time. This is the late seventies. Jack and Stan are working at Marvel again. They're probably doing silver surfer around this time. Uh, it's also the captions are very fun throughout. The, and this page is just a good example of it where, um, uh, uh, Jean and, and, um, Scott, Scott are attacked by sentinels and Gene screams. It can't be them, not them. And then the caption goes, but it is. <laughs> yes. It's very fun. Um, you know, it's funny. I associate with Chris Claremont, first and foremost, teen pathos and drama and like soap opera stuff. But the action is good in these stories. Like the fighting is really fun. Oh, I always think of him as subplots and catchphrases. Oh, catchphrases. Really? Yeah. Like I'm the best there is at what I do or whatever it is, but what oh. I do isn't very nice. Um, fastball special. Like people kind of saying the same things a fair amount oh, I've never uh, heard- that and like, seeding a plot way in advance okay i'm the only one who does those things but like those two sort of things yeah i associate that with claremont like a million plots there's like a million things in the air at all times like the comics we talked about last mutants and mailbags and this one all have professor x having these like nightmares of aliens that doesn't happen right that is just teased for like 10 issues and that's so this is like six or seven issues where that has not happened that is a year because this is a bi-monthly comic that is a year yeah yeah that it's been like, what is this about? We're not we're not getting to it anytime soon, it seems like. And I don't have a problem with that. I think it's fun. Do you know what Claremont does in these issues? And this might be something that lots of people do, but I really love, is he's really big on the, in a battle, one of the X-Men, they do half a sentence before they strike, and then they strike, finishing their sentence in a huge, bold-faced balloon. Like Nightcrawler will say something like, you know, you may think that I'm, I'm making this up, but you may think that I'm small, so I don't pack a punch, but now you shall feel the Nightcrawler's wrath.
1: <laughs> yeah, and classic like, Nightcrawler boom, line. Boom, or
0: whatever. I know that's not not good Nightcrawler dialogue, but like, <laughs> but, but that sort of cadence of like <laughs> the big punch with the sort of dramatic declaration, yeah. you know, you shall not let Colossus die or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of these things Claremont's doing, he was the first to do. I bet almost none of them. He just does them all really well. Yeah. Uh, cause obviously subplots is not a Claremont thing, but he's really good at handling them. Like he's seeded this, uh, storm being uncomfortable and claustrophobic without really, there's not like a word balloon where she goes, I'm claustrophobic. But even the last batch of issues we talked about, there was a couple moments where she got like a little anxious. Yeah. And in this five issues, like she's in a stone castle and she starts freaking out and Completely. then she falls into like a dungeon and shuts down. Uh, another thing, Claire, yes, and it's very, i it's exciting. Like Storm is their big firepower superpower, yeah. and she's taken out of the battle by her claustrophobia. But as opposed to the things I'm complaining about, I feel like so earned. It's not like, oh, she's claustrophobic. Where did this come from? Yeah, they were planted, or, di- or it didn't feel like so overtly just thrown in for no reason early. It wasn't like she went into the bathroom and was like, oh, better be careful my claustrophobia. I think Claremont's doing a good. The reason I like the action is he's doing a good reason. He, he does the good thing that comics do of just like, um. Okay, these are your powers. Here's a situation in which there's not an obvious solution for you to win. Mm-hmm. Like, like at one point, the villain, what's his name, the bad guy in this little series, Black gets, Tom, or or, or the no, senator. before Black Tom, the senator, Senator Lang, Senator Lang gets them all in space, or something, something Lang, something Lang. They're they're all in space. Yeah, like Banshee, Storm, Colossus, and like, yeah, what are they? The without gravity and and land they are kind of and storm can't do weather stuff yeah she's not sure if she can yeah so that's like just kind of a fun little predicament superhero superpower wise here's another thing i'll say um uh, i didn't realize phoenix was this early phoenix happens so early like phoenix is born in these issues uh her, her new costume is phenomenal great job oh. dave Cockrum dave Cockrum. Uh, <laughs> She's so much believe- better than the Marvel girl costume. Such an upgrade. All of Every- his, Who Who are the characters that Dave Cochran did the visual design for? Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, um, and Phoenix. And Phoenix. And did he revamp Wolverine? He hasn't yet, so not yet. Uh, I, I don't think so. Not, I mean, a little bit. He tweaked Wolverine. He's only tweaked Wolverine, so we can't give him Wolverine. Um, but the, those guys are great. He also designs the uh, – who we haven't met yet, but the um, – uh, not i think maybe the star jammers but uh what are the guys in space um i don't know uh, i don't know their names well we'll get to them eventually we'll to them. but i heard like he had made these designs for the legion of superheroes and then uh didn't end up using them and so just sort of created characters to like use these designs he had come up with um, um anyway um when we get to them i'll talk about that again and people will email us now and say like kevin those names are so obvious you should know gladiator is one of them remember you know gladiator because he was in the ff comics yep uh i do remember that uh so he designed a lot of those guys and they look great um anyway he's a great designer and there's no question about it like when juggernaut showed up i didn't remember for sure if juggernaut had been a previously existing character i had to look it up real quick yeah because i've never read the previous juggernaut stories um and i was like oh dave cockham designed juggernaut too probably which he didn't kirby did uh, <laughs> But it's like another great designer. Um, yeah, Kirby's not so bad on that visual design either. Anyway, yeah, these characters look phenomenal. Phoenix looks phenomenal. The thing that hits me when I'm reading the Phoenix birth is um, obviously I know what happens to her. I've read I've read the issues where she dies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then she comes back. Like now she comes back. Like when I was reading a ton of comics. Yeah, so I, I remember the because that happened that. The FF are somewhat involved. Uh, the FF and uh, uh, maybe the Avengers too. Uh, and X-Factor, obviously. That was, that was one of the, the first big undoing of deaths in Marvel. Like now it's right. kind of commonplace, but like that and was like controversial to bring back. Do you know back, who yes. came up with the idea to bring her back? No. Kurt Busaic. Oh, really? As a young, yeah. as a youngin? Uh, I mean, an adult, but a young adult. Yes. I think he I mean, pitched it new, into, new in his time at Marvel, I think. Yeah. I don't think he had written comics yet uh he may have been like an intern somewhere but i think he pitched it to roger stern or somebody uh he's like hey if you ever want to bring this character back i kind of know how you would you could do it and the way they bring her back like reading this issue knowing how she comes back and i think a lot of people say oh well they they should have never brought her back right It, it hurts the character to have her come back even though there's been good stories with her blah 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 but i will say like the way she goes underwater and then comes out in a new costume like his his tweak of it was just that that's somebody else coming out of the water. That's this alien entity that has absorbed Phoenix, uh, Jean Gray's like, a personality and looks and appearance, like a body snatcher type situation. Yeah. And left the real Jean Grey, like, in a stasis thing under the bottom of the river. Okay. And it's taken her place, but it doesn't know it's not her. Right. It's like, it's confused because it's, and it's like, that makes, when I read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, it feels like that. It yeah. feels like a new character, like she died and a new character was born. Yeah. So the, the reason he did it that way is so that old Jean Grey is not responsible for killing a planet. And it's okay to bring her back morally. It's okay so. to bring her back and not put her in jail forever. Um, anyway, uh, like I read this like, oh, it, Kurt was right. It fits perfectly. There's, there's, it, it does not cause a wrinkle. Uh, In this Uh, story, but but you are right that it happens so early. It's an issue one hundred and one, like the new the new X Men are ninety four, and seven issues later we replace Marvel. But why not? We're in an era of rebooting. At this point, these characters are not that important to the Marvel universe. They soon will be. But like, I mean, you you have you have leverage to kind of go nuts. I mean, Marvel Girl is a bad name. It's so Uh, weird to name a girl after the company that you're, yeah, part of. That's just strange. It would be like having a. Here's a new movie starring MGM Joe. It's like MGM Joe. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is sort of weird to have like uh, Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel also as members of the Marvel Universe, right? That's it's like, all weird. Especially now when they're like Marvel's Captain Marvel. That's what yeah. they call the movies. And it's like, that's, that's weird, that's, right? It's that's weird. It's dumb. Yeah. Um, even though Captain Marvel is a cool name unquestionably yes uh, though it makes me think of the shazam captain marvel first that's another reason why it's weird it's already kind of been used by this very like yeah they grabbed it just because a prominent it has, character i mean calling their company marvel when there was a prominent captain marvel is weird yeah it
1: we're would be su- like a superman, superman comics.
0: comics we don't have superman <laughs> oh yeah he's uh. somebody else oh well we we wish we had superman (laughs) anyway read superman (laughs) spider-man um yeah it's very weird it's very weird to do that um uh, but phoenix is cool phoenix is a much a, a much improved she's so compelling right away like her power is immense she seems out of control almost immediately even if you don't give her like what we know is coming with like this cosmic side of her and all that other stuff even if this is it I'm like, this is a huge improvement. This is a way better character. I'm so interested in this character. And even the fact that she's been reborn is sort of an interesting thing that she's dealing with, that she died and is alive again. Um, Anyway, these five issues are great. The the birth of Phoenix, the Sentinels, uh, which – and this – the Sentinels is like three issues, and it does like an FF Kirby style halfway through the next issue. It turns into the leprechaun plot. (laughs) And the leprechauns are silly – but juggernaut so is great. Claremont loves Ireland, I guess, because he just introduces Ireland as a huge, huge like stage for a lot of the X-Men stories. Well he's got right? Banshee, right? Yeah. Banshee's Irish. Yeah. But we're not going to Canada. We got Wolverine too. You know what I mean? Like it's I'm not going to Canada now. I don't know what happens in this run. Um but yeah, probably. So here's here's one of my favorite moments uh in this book, in issue 102. This is a little bit later in the story. They've defeated Senator Lang and his like fake X robots and his lesser sentinels. But now they're in a castle in Ireland and they're about they're in the in a fight with a juggernaut. And this is where the X-Men are forced to take a vacation. There's been two vacation plots in a very short span <laughs> in the X-Men. These guys just relax too much is all I'm saying. They're uh, they're Bernie bros. They want social, they want a lot of benefits. They oh, want man. they want um they want healthcare and they want they want paid vacation. Oh, um, boy So they're they're in this castle, they're fighting Juggernaut. This is like a very, in in issue 102, I don't know what page, but Colossus and Wolverine are fighting because Wolverine keeps calling Colossus Rusky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And Wolverine has just used Colossus as, has like thrown him like a battering ram at Juggernaut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so Coloss- but Colossus is more mad that he got called Rusky. So Colossus says, do not call me that. And do not come between me and my friends again, Wolverine, or by all I hold dear. I'll- oh, that's right. Colossus was protecting Storm, who's right. like collapsed in claustrophobia. Wolverine's like, no, we need you to fight Juggernaut. Colossus won't do it. So Wolverine picks him up and throws him into Juggernaut, calls him Rusky. Then Colossus says, What I just said, do not call me that. Do not come between me and my friends, Wolverine, or by all I hold dear. And then Wolverine says, Well, I'll be. Peter Pureheart finally gets a mad on. All right, bub, all you got to do is pick the time and place. And then Juggernaut says, Here, fools, and now he's answering the yeah. diamond. So then Wolverine instantly is protecting Colossus. Colossus, look out. Like that. I love they fight with each other, but when there's a common enemy, they. They protect yeah. each other. So they're having a fight while fighting the common enemy. Maybe pick your battles. Uh, but I, but, you know. Yes, it is It is a great sequence. I, I love that about the the X-Men.
1: They, There's also. Are,
0: oh, uh, go, go, go. They love each other. Like the, the friendship as a kid. And I think you relate to the idea that when you have true friends, you'll stand together and protect each other to the ends of the earth. It's like extremely compelling part that the x-men have better than most marvel titles i think yeah yeah again it makes it feel like they've been a team for a lot longer than they probably have but it's fun there's been one montage in the danger room and now they are will die to protect each other uh there was also like a weird thing where it felt like they were trying to set colossus and storm up as a couple and that seems to get subdued during this leprechaun arc and i'm glad yeah I, i just don't need everyone to pair off so fast we get Storm's uh, origin, and which is kind of nice. We find out Storm's origin story. Yeah. Her, her origin's really layered and cool. I guess she was born in America. I didn't know that. She's an American, but uh her parents, uh, but her mom's from uh Kenya, and they go kind of like Obama. She's got a parent from Kenya. Wait, oh my goodness. Well, you're picking the wrong signs. <laughs> well, I just don't believe that Obama's American. No, I'm like kidding. I, I do believe that Obama's American, but no, but it's true. Like she's yeah, got yeah, a yeah. Kenyan born parent, just like Obama. Mm-hmm. Um She uh, and her parents and her dad is an American and she's born in Harlem. And then, but she, they go, her parents go back to America when she's a little toddler and they're killed. Yeah. And uh, she's orphaned and then raised as kind of a street thief in the streets of Cairo. Yep. And then she becomes a goddess. Then she becomes a goddess who control the weather and in Kenya, right? Uh, Yeah. I don't know where she goes. I don't know where she goes. She 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 wanders across the desert by herself. Yeah. As like a, preteen i mean it 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 is fast but it is layered and it's just like dr doom's origin yeah made him like 10 times more interesting and i and storm was already cool whereas doom was insane uh storm's origin also it's like oh i could unpack this for like 12 issues all by itself you could do a 12 issue maxi series just of storm pre-powers and it would be very good it would be a great story Uh, and so i think like the reboot, you know, Marvel Girl into Phoenix, adding Storm's origin. We're starting to see some huge moves yeah. that presage how cool this run is going gonna, is gonna to be. I mean, Storm does take a shower in a castle room by creating rain. And I wonder who cleaned that up. It seems, <laughs> it, it seems rude. She was not in a shower stall when she did that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Storm is great. Uh, they also do a fun thing with the image inducer, like nightcrawler, he has this like little hologram thing that makes him look like anyone. And he plays with it early in this arc to look like all these celebrities, but it becomes a plot point in the second half of the story where he, uh, impersonates professor, professor X. X and it's like, and that's that stuff that's really cool where it's like, Oh, it's played for like a joke. And it's like, here's this fun little amazing piece of technology. But then it's like, Oh, they're doing that for a reason. Like that is they're introducing the important, tool to you so you yeah. you know about it later. It's earned when it's used later. Yeah, when he did it, I'm like, oh, right. He can change shape whenever he wants in a, in a weird way. It's an amazing piece of technology. It, it, comics are always that, especially this era of comics, this and older comics, where like, they'll have things like that where like someone has invented a device that can make Nightcrawler look like anybody and anything completely convincingly, but it's really hard for them to get to and from space. Um. Uh, yeah, And I love that. I love it being like, oh, that's not just an easy, like nowadays I feel like if the X-Men were up in a space station, they would call one of the 50 superhero teams to come up in their Quinjets jets to come get them. Right. But that it's like a whole issue for them to get back to earth here. Or like, there's a moment where Fresher X is like, you got to get to Ireland and help the X-Men. And, and and Cyclops is like, I won't get there in time. <laughs> yeah. Cyclops is standing by Jean Grey's side. She's come back as Phoenix. She's still recovering from her wounds. And yeah, Cyclops is like, "I well, I can't help. Like they are in another country. <laughs> it would take him like 12 hours to get there. Yeah. If they're still fighting at 12 hours, they're winning it's, probably. Yeah. It's going to be decided. And he's like, this is, they have to earn their medal on their own. That, uh, was, that was cool X, too. It was. It was overplayed a little bit. Professor X gets so mad about it. And I'm sort of like, Cyclops is making good sense. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. dude. Relax. Yeah. Relax, Professor. Uh, anyway, uh, we should wrap up. Any last thoughts on these six issues? Well, I'm Will? so excited. I'm so glad we're doing it. I can't wait to read more X Men. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first five issues, but these six issues feel like oh yeah, we're uh, taking another step. level. Yeah, uh, quickly, just a, another strong step forward. It's like these feel great. The first five were fun, but these are great comics already. Like these are comics I can imagine. Like the first five, I can imagine reading, and being like, I don't know if I'll keep reading this. These are good mm-hmm, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Depends on what else I'm getting, and I read these six. It's like oh yeah, I would definitely want to keep reading this. I can't wait to see what happens. Like I'm so excited. Uh, we'll talk about another five or so issues next time we do mail. Will, all right. Next time we do mutants and mailbag, let's, let's take, take a, break. a break. break. Oh, we both said it. Yay, Star Wars. Star, that's what we say when we say something at the <laughs> same, same time. <laughs> Our <laughs> version of Jinx. Star Wars, owe me a force. <laughs> This is Kevin. I'm here with my brother Will and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts. A slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks advance from screw it we're just going to talk about comics from campfire media and we're back uh, we're going to read some mail uh, if you want to mail us how would they do that well i have no idea <laughs> all right well you can't mail us <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have our email address is screw it comics at gmail please email us uh, tell us what you think of The Mutants or Superior Spider-Man or any comics uh, that you're reading. Uh, Requests for us to cover stuff. Casting questions, which we will not be able to answer well. <laughs> yeah. uh, any Anything you'd like, please uh, email us at screwitcomics at Gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, and an Instagram account, screwitcomics, where Kevin does a really great job of putting up screenshots of the things we're talking about. Um, so please get in touch with us. We are lonely and ready to talk to you. All right. Uh, so we got a bunch of emails. Let's see how many we can get through mm-hmm. today. Uh, this one's from Megan uh, from late April. So we're catching up to current days. We're recording this at the end of May. So yeah. 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 We're like a month behind. Not bad. Uh, though I'm reading sort of out of order. I'm not necessarily just reading the old ones. Uh, no, I don't, enjoying Now I, season- no, I don't know what to believe. Okay. Well, enjoying the season of interviews. After your interview with Jeff Smith, I went to my local comic store, House of Heroes, and picked up the first collection of Bone and Batman Year One. I even got my husband to read both. It was fun to read a non-superhero comic. Looking forward to letting my son read Bone in the future. Yeah, Batman Year One was the best. I cried when the baby was falling off the bridge. That was the scariest part for me, even though it all ended well. The art is so beautiful in that book. So glad you guys talked about it. My husband was into it, and I kept bringing up how I wish we had more Gordon, less Batman. I like this Megan person. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing right into your hands. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, Bone and Batman Year One, it's hard I to mean, get better comics than those two things. Thank you. So, I can't think of a better compliment than somebody trying out a comic after we talk about it. You know, that? Yeah, just, it really is. I mean, that feels those, so good. Uh, I mean, I understand if people don't have the bandwidth to try out the stuff we yeah. recommend, but thank you so much, Megan, for doing that. That makes me feel great. But it's also good when someone tries out the the best ones. That helps, oh, yeah. that helps our mean, success rate. It makes us look good if somebody's like, "Well, I'll give Year One and Bone a shot." I'm like, "Oh, well, you're gonna love it." Like, there's I'm gonna no- try Fantastic Four '99, <laughs> <Oops. laughs> and, uh, <Oops. laughs> and the Hulk with, with the Hulk where he goes underground. Those are the two I'll try. <laughs> it's like, uh oh, <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, as we said in those episodes, those comics are so beautiful and spe- and the Baby Falling is something that as a teenager is just like it's like kind of run of the mill stakes but then when you're an adult and you've seen uh how you know like basically Kevin you having a child and like there's a baby in your life that it means everything to you even the fictional prospect of a baby getting hurt is like oh my god if this baby is hurt I don't even know if I'll be able to finish the comic yeah it is uh sometimes those things are really hard for me to watch or enjoy because I get too anxious about it uh but yeah that moment is terrifying like it's like oh gordon's chasing after he's gonna save the baby and now it's like he's got this oh my god this is the most important thing in the world he's got to do it yeah when Batman so, saves his child i'm like well their friendship is forever solidified yeah, like that's, that's it. it that's uh, it. it it's such a smart move also to why would gordon go so uh, this law abiding by the book cop yeah go so out of it's like hey this, he just saved his son's life like automatically there's going to be some amount of latitude given to this person and theoretically risked his own life to do it yeah uh megan goes on i would love to hear your thoughts on wandavision and the falcon and winter soldier both kept my eyes glued to the screen do you guys think after loki and hawkeye come out you'll do a recap on the shows uh impressed with all your interviews this season megan uh i we're not going to do recaps that's not I mean, I don't think so. We're going to be too busy talking about war games and Star Wars. We got a lot of other irrelevant stuff to keep (laughs) being obsessed with. Um, Uh, But I loved both of them. I haven't seen Falcon the Winter Soldier, but I loved WandaVision. And I loved that everybody got excited about it. Like, it's so fun when a comics property kind of gets the attention of all of my friends, I guess. Like, just a lot of people I knew were watching WandaVision as it came out and talking about Mm -hmm. it. That was really exciting. I mean, I I'm a really... huge fan of uh, not binging where they drop shows one one. I, I get why people want binged, but it's like drop one a week so that people, t- if it's good, people will watch it and yeah. talk about it. Oh, it's the best! I really loved it. I thought, uh, uh, I just yeah, I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, I have I have some some friends who felt that Wandavision kind of was a little too neatly. Pat that they kind of like the initial episodes where everything's really strange and they're caught in the sitcom world. They thought that the solution to that puzzle was a little too simplified. Uh, I don't agree. I thought it was the right amount of like meta and explained. I thought it was really satisfying. Yeah. I mean, I got anxious when it was announced that it was going to be too much of like just the parody stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to get bored of this. Aren't I? Um, And like, there's less and less of that each episode basically. Yeah. I thought it was well done. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of Monica Rambeau in the comics. I'm excited to see uh, uh, that character. character, also known as Captain Marvel for a while. Yep. Um, now largely called Photon or Spectrum, um, sort of start coming into our own. Uh, Randall Park is really great. It's just fun. It's got, like, just the right amount of, like, connective tissue. Uh, and Vision's great. It's This is probably the best Vision in all the MCU like vision's not that fun in the movies he's okay he's got a cool power set he's got you know paul bettany is phenomenal yeah but in this you get to really see him do like both he's fun in the early episodes as being paul bettany and in the last couple episodes where he's full-on vision and doing battle sequences it's like it's great it was great to see the vision and of course Scarlet witch is great in this and her backstory with the the star of the character yeah uh so I'm. I can't wait to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier. I've gotten caught up with a couple of the shows right now, but I'm. Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. No spoilers because Will hasn't watched it. Uh, everyone listening, don't spoil it. Um, <laughs> but I think it is. It's more uh, by the numbers. It's more just like more standard fare. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's really. I really, really enjoyed it. But it is less of a like. This is sort of like what's going on. Oh, this is cool. This is a little different. It's not drastically rewriting how you tell television or anything. But like, WandaVision is like. It, it's it doesn't feel like a, a typical MCU movie where where Falcon right. and Winter Soldier sort of feels like uh, like a a good Captain what you America might expect movie. for an MCU TV show. Yes, uh, well, and hey, that it. that's that's enough for me. That's enough for me to sure. watch it. So, I mean, uh, uh, Anthony Mackie is great, and really, I think about how great it is that they cast him so long ago as Falcon, and like yeah. And now and it, he's sort of like Captain America. Uh, and it's like, oh, you, you guys picked the right guy right out of the gate. And oof, what a what a great actor to have like, to said, like, we're keeping this guy around for a while. Yeah. Great for him. He's making money and he's getting uh, more famous. So he's going to get to do more of what he wants. But also great for Marvel just to have a guy who can do it. Yeah. I'm excited. I can't wait to watch it. And I'm really looking forward to Loki. I think that's going to be a blast. Never heard of him. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, here's an email we just got from, uh, a so lot of order. Now I just don't right. know what's happening. This is from, uh, Mark David Christensen, host of, ah, oh, crap. uh hellboy, hellboy podcast. Got... Yeah. We've been former on Former guest, but no, we've been on that. And he's, he's been not... on ours. It was a shared. Oh yeah. Uh, it was a back and forth type situation. Um, he just wants to, have you heard about this? Well, he wants to ask your thoughts in this wild casting. Aaron T- Taylor Johnson is Craven the Hunter. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. They've announced a Craven the Hunter solo movie from Sony. Wow. Starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I don't really know. He played Quicksilver in the Marvel Universe uh, movies. He dies in uh, um, what are the Avengers? Avengers 2. Okay. He is both introduced and dies in Avengers 2. So I don't know the actor that well. So I, whenever I hear casting him, I was like, I'm sure they'd be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my assumption is always anyone will be good in the role. Like they're good at they're actors. They've auditioned like, I'm sure like they're, you know, additioning someone who they think can pull this off. Yeah. Even if they've never played something like this to, before, I to, sort of believe in them until I see them fail. To, to me, the more interesting part of that is a solo Craven movie. That's the part that I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah. That sounds dumb to me. Uh, and just in the sense of like, I don't know what that character is as a solo character. Well, I know what you're saying. Like, Craven is one of those ridiculous Ditko characters with his big potions and his like, you know, hunting yeah. animals. And sure. Yeah. But, a movie gives you enough room to like make the character, whatever you need it to be like. Right. It could but be, once a, you do that, it's just a name. Yeah. Like, is this the same Craven that I, I see fighting Spider-Man? It doesn't feel like it. Once you like, once you remove Spider-Man from it. Uh, he, I, I guess I just mean like, we don't, I don't know what to think until I see it. Like yeah. there'll be room for this to be really good or room for it to be kind of. Okay. Bad, which is what I would call venom. Um, I I don't know. So I'm I'm excited to see it. If it gets made, uh, you never know with these things. But yeah, my main complaint about it is like, I was really looking forward to see Craven in a Spider-Man movie. I see. Yeah. And now I won't for a while. Uh, He's the only member of the original Sinister Six, not to be uh, a live action version yet. Oh, well, I'm excited to see it. So I I wish she was there, but The, the casting that I'm excited about is Sandman TV series has announced its casting, yeah, And the woman who's cast as Death, Kirby Howell-Baptiste, is a friend of mine. She's oh, I didn't know. from the UCB LA. I mean, she's a successful actor who's going to be in the Cruella Deville right. movie, and she's done a she's lot of stuff. She's mostly known as a friend of yours. But I think primarily she's known as someone who took a four-week class from Will Hines mm-hmm. in 2014 and did improv with him in London once. Me, Joel Spence, Connor Ratliff, and Kirby did a set with the C3 improv uh, group I think that's her primary credit uh, before this. Yeah, that sounds right. And um, but she's uh, really funny and really great, and she's got cast as Death, which I think, I mean, no exaggeration, is one of the greatest characters in comics that I've ever read. And so yeah. for and so for them, possibly maybe, the best character in the Sandman universe. Definitely a contender for. Could you could argue that it's better than Dream for sure? I think for sure it's better than Dream. Not as big a role, but a it's more a, a likely fun to be character the, to play. the breakout character that everyone loves and wants to see more of. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just excited for the Sandman TV series. I'm excited to, for whatever they do with it. Uh, I listened to the audiobook adaptation adaptation uh, and it was really fun. Um, And that it's, that I know somebody who I know who I also know is great. Like it's what it's like yeah. when Kate McKinnon got SNL. It's like everybody who knew Kate from UCB was like, yeah, duh. Like she's going to yeah. be incredible. <laughs> and she was. Um, Yeah, I I don't know um, uh, uh, Kirby. Uh, I didn't know she was your friend. Uh, I haven't looked at her IMDb page about who her friends were. She's primarily known as my friend. I mean, I haven't talked to her or emailed her in like three years, but I feel like we're very close. Uh, But she was on Killing Eve, uh, at least the first season, the only season I watched, and she was really good in like a very small role. Yeah. And like she was one of those people that's like, ah, something about this actor just like pops off the screen in this tiny role. And then she showed up on The Good Place. I was like, ah, it's her again. This is very exciting. She's great. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw she was deaf. I'm like, Oh, good for her. But yeah. if I knew she was your friend, I'd be like, of course, of, of course. They're gonna uh, she her. was, this is really inside baseball, but she was in a two prov indie, uh, a, a two group with Natalie Palomitas. Uh, I think they were called two hot dogs. And Natalie has become like a breakout star with her one person shows, Nate and um, Oh God, what was her egg show? She had a show where she was an egg Uh, but she was like, it like won all these awards at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest. And now Nate is a Netflix special that Amy Poehler produced. And it's incredible. And she's like a a phenomenon on her own, but like when it was Kirby and Natalie as two hot dogs, they would like be doing an improv set, like 11 PM at the clubhouse in LA, like this black box theater. Um, it fun, but it was like, just, it was almost like an, a silly idea. Of, I think they would dress up as hot dogs and do improv. Yeah. And it'd be like, well, this is who, not who cares. Like, oh, this is like a frivolous little throwaway thing from two good people. But it's like, you're watching two of the biggest stars of the next five years. It used to be Dude. funny that way. If you could go back in time and see what some of these really funny, yeah. famous like, people did, just be like, uh, oh, like Aubrey they- Plaza in their three prop group, Frankenstein's Eyes where her and Violet and I think Marcy Giroud would come out and just like pretend to be doing, they would make little gestures in front of their eyes, like big eyes coming out. They're like we're Frankenstein's eyes. It'd be like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. It's crazy to think of like the stupid things. Yeah. Talented people. Yeah. Did. That's kind of uh, Before they got successful. So and yeah, maybe they'll, maybe they'll do Frankenstein's eyes one more time. <laughs> uh, Dan Gillette emailed us. Well, Uh, Danbury Uh, Hatter uh, uh, yeah Uh, he emailed us because we were talking about Union Jack yeah Uh, let's see he loved our interview with uh, Chris Gethard and um, Jeff Smith those are the two people bring up a lot Uh, those did great he tried to plug us on the John Burns fan site but John Burns was too busy getting annoyed by somebody dogging Galactus (laughs) okay (laughs) Um, and you were talking about Union Jack and wondering if he'd had a great arc and I'd say the run by Byrne and Stern and that is awesome. Uh, this is the Captain America story. The collected Trade War and Remembrance would probably be a great cap run for all of you to explore and his burn f- fans. Have you read it? It's my favorite cap era and the Britain Baron Blood stuff is the best. And that's where Union Jack comes in. Uh, it helped that I was a huge fan of the Invaders comics in the 70s. Uh, and then he has one more thing to say, which I'll read after we talk about Union Jack. We have read that. You had, you had that trade, I think um yeah sounds like it I would buy a lot of John Byrne stuff back in the day yeah so I think we I think you had a collection of this Warren remembrance because I, I think that's how I read it uh-huh. um I can't say if it's the best cap run just because I think it's one of the only cap runs I've yeah, read probably pre- one of the only cap runs. yeah that like what? I have not read the Grunwald run which is supposed to be epic yeah oh, it's gathered Get- approved yeah that's right um He then goes on to say, I appreciate your take on Stan and Jack and Steve. I think it's appropriately nuanced. It doesn't fall into any specific camp. It's so obvious to me that Jack and Steve and Stan were all great talents. And like certain bands, they're better working together than apart. On that note, the Silver Surfer stuff is great and in no small part of the genius of brilliance of John Puskema. Uh, I think that Buscema isn't lauded enough these days for his contribution to Marvel. His ability to blend the dynamic and bombastic of Kirby with the handsome and beautiful faces of Romita and the anatomical brilliance of Adams is in- really incredible. His brother is no slouch either. That's true. Uh, Sal. Yeah. You? Yeah. Sal. Um, Sal had a great a, run of Hulk and then a really great later era run on Spider-Man that I think his art is phenomenal. In. I think Dan's totally right. That was so, that was put in so articulately Um, Because when I think of John Buscema, it is I picture like cosmic grand like landscapes, but with very human looking people like it's closer to Neil Adams than anything else. But it's true. He's not become one of the I mean, to Marvel fans, we all know John Buscema, but he's yeah. not one of the like the household names the way like Kirby or Ditko is or even like Starenko or. Yeah, he like maybe wasn't quite signature style enough or flashy enough to stay. he was he was merely great. He was yeah. he was not maybe unique enough. He or should something. be as big as like Ramita, I would think, and Staranko, yeah. who didn't do that much. But Ramita um, is only really, I think, great right, because he did set that long run of Spider-Man, right? Like yeah. that, like established Ramita in the Marvel mindset or whatever. Like Yeah. And he did like the, the run that almost became like the style guide for the character. Uh visually, yeah. Yeah. Um here is an email from Chuck. Uh his subject is uh is milksop just wet bread? It's <laughs> a subject matter. I'm intrigued. Uh, but that's not what he talks about in here. I'm a big fan of the show and the comics you've covered. While I love the classic stuff, my first exposure to comic books was in the mid-90s through Marvels, the Busaic-Ross series recontextualizing classic Golden and Silver Age stories. The purity of those covers and the strength of the themes hooked me more than any of the more contemporary styles of the time. I loved how Marvels grounded older stories by leaning into Busaic's use of civilian POV. Namor's attack on New York from a 40s comic was the most cinematic comic book I'd ever seen until literal, actual comic book cinema became a thing, and even now it ranks pretty high on the list. I was wondering, I was wondering what you think of those kinds of stories, especially given Marvels is making a comeback of sorts in the fairly recent history of the Marvel Universe large format book. Do you have any favorites? Um, I mean, I love Marvels. I think you do too. I do. I love Marvels. Um... It was the arrival of Kurt Busick as far as I'm concerned. Like, I guess he had done stuff before, but that like yeah. established him as like a big, and Alex Ross, like, yeah. uh, maybe Alex had done a lot of stuff, but that like cemented them. In it made mind. both of them superstars. Yeah. Uh, uh those and covers was, too. He bring, bring up those covers. Like, that's why I think I picked up the first issue I picked up was like the cover. Uh, I don't remember if it was like the giant man stepping over the camera. That's the one I think of. I was like, Oh, this looks good. This I don't care good, what yeah. this is. Um, and, you know, he, he brings up a good point that I hadn't appreciated, which was Marvel's pre superhero movies. Yeah. So like Alex Ross's art is great now, but like at that time, it was the closest you had to to a sort of grand photographic view of what the Marvel characters m- might look like. And it was really striking. And it's true. It was the best. It was the most cinematic portrait of this universe we loved pre movies. Yeah, I remember the, the, what, there's a cover of Spider Man on it. I'm sort of like, oh, he looks like a guy wearing a costume more than yeah. Spider Man. Yeah. Both good and bad that kind of comes with that. And it kind of humbles way. them and humanizes them, but yeah. still looks kind of grand somehow. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is very cool. I mean, that, that book is great. I don't, I, I bought the history of the Marvel Universe book that uh, Mark Wade did and has beautiful art. I, I don't necessarily love the dryer. That's more of a dryer. Here's a, almost a prose description of how the marvel universe is history that yeah. stuff sort of bores me i was never a handbook guy uh, but marvels is exactly in the right spot for me like let's revisit these cool things and from a different angle from it yeah th- that's the genius thing like going from the civilians point of view um there's a whole lot of like rebooting and revisiting classic marvel stories it's happened a million times a million ways but that's one of the all-time great ones yeah and of it course is- it and of course it Indicated what Astro City would be like, which is yeah. a lot of times from civilian points of view, uh, and is one of the best superhero series ever. I mean, I think anybody who likes Marvel comics, I wouldn't Marvels would not be the first thing I'd give you if you liked if you wanted to try a comic book, but it would probably be the second thing if you liked the first thing. Whatever okay. it is you read first, it's like well then you're gonna like this. Yeah. Um, if you if you like the idea of comic books and superheroes, here it is. Um, if you're already in, very rad. Uh, so yes, Chuck, I love it. Uh, what do we got time-wise? Uh, we got time for a couple more. Exciting. Let's do it. Uh, this is one from, uh, here's one from James. This is in May now. Will. so hold on to your hats. Uh, howdy, milk sops. I love the season of guests and I'm looking forward to more interviews in the future. I'm writing because I wanted to know what issues disappear. vitamin I already told him this, um, I also wanted to mention that I was recently reading a story by the excellent author Eudora Welty titled Moon Lake. It's a story about a group of girls at a summer camp by Lake. And if you're at all familiar with Welty, you'll know that there's a lot of weirdness and subversion under that bland sounding premise. The reason I bring it up, however, is that in the story, she writes about how the girls swimming in their panty waists. (laughs) It's the only time I've ever seen the word used to refer to an actual garment rather than as a childish insult. It's apparently a kind of play suit with a suit that buttons onto the bottoms. Anyway, I thought you'd want to know. I'll keep you informed if I run across any <laughs> mention of milk stops in my literary endeavors. And he's right. I did want to know. He's right. I'm interested in that. He's uh, He was right to tell us. So so panty waists are like underwear with snap bottoms? So it's like a childish undergarment. So it's, right. both, it's both undermining a man for being a feminine thing and also a childish thing. Yeah, I love it. Uh, here's an email from Steve. Hi there, fellow Milksops. Wanted to write in and say that I'm really fellow excited. He's identifying himself as a Milksop. Yeah, man, he gets it. He knows who he <laughs> is. Uh, I wanted to write in and say that I'm really excited for your episodes on Superior Spider-Man. For me, it was the epitome of sounds bananas and awful when explained out loud, but it is awesome when you read it. I agree, I agree That's with that. That's true. Yeah. As I held off for years before actually giving it a go and loving it. I had mentioned once on Twitter that I read the Superior run while in the hospital after a second liver transplant. So it means a lot to me. Ooh. Which got me to thinking, do either of you have a comic run, character series, et cetera, that made you feel seen in a way most others haven't? For example, I love Jason Aaron Russell Dotterman's run on Mighty Thor because I identified strongly with Jane Foster who was going to a bunch of doctor's appointments in the hospital, but was still Thor. Oh, wow. Uh, thanks so much for the hours of entertainment, Steve. Wow. Uh, Interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, anything jump out to you, Will? Want me to go first? If you got one, go first. So, mine isn't a comic book necessarily, but um, when uh, my son had uh, 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 was in the hospital, uh, that like, it was like six months after he was born, he had a, a really yeah. bad cold RSV. So, he's in the hospital for a week. And uh, I was there largely 24 seven. I would go home to feed the cats and go back to the hospital. And then my wife got sick. She caught it. And so, she had to go home yeah. and recover. And so, I was there alone. Just overnight, while my son, who couldn't talk, yeah, he was a you know six months old, so yeah. he's real dumb. Might have been five months, real dumb. Uh, um, okay. But it was just really sad. He was hooked up to cords. I couldn't like really pick him up and hold him. Yeah, and he's confused. Uh, he, he was putting up with it really well, but didn't want these tubes up his nose. He didn't. Yeah. Like, he, he just. I wanted to take him home and take care of him, but I also had nothing to do, so I started binge watching Steven Universe. Okay, yeah, which is a Cartoon Network show, uh, and it's a show about a kid named Steven Universe whose mom is dead. His mom died to give birth to him in a way. It's a lot more complicated than that. And I'm watching And it's sort of a silly cartoon. It's like a kid with like superhero ants taking care of him is basically what it feels like when it first starts. And then about like 10, 12, 14 episodes into it, he finds a videotape of his mom talking to him. Like she recorded this videotape uh, uh, of, uh, for him that he had never seen and he watches it. And I'm in this hospital with my son, and my yeah. mom has been dead since uh, I was you 12, 11, yeah. And I'm just crying in the yeah. hospital. And this, and and Stephen Universe is, helps lots of people be seen. It de- it deals a lot with identity issues and yeah, uh, sexuality and all this other stuff. But right there in that moment, I'm like, well, this show will always mean a lot to me. Yeah, because of that moment. And also, I'm in this very emotionally vulnerable state while I'm watching it, and I was yeah. just a wreck. And I was also I was like, I'm going to keep watching it. And I've watched every episode and I've cried a number of episodes in the show. Yeah. That show can get me like nothing else. Um, uh, uh, but that episode, I was just like, well, this isn't a kid, This isn't for kids. Yeah. This is, can't be watched by anyone who's under 40. <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> you're not, you're so. not emotionally ready. Uh, and it was, it was, I don't know. I love that show because of that reason. Um, Steven Universe is uh, pre My son advice- is fine. Uh, yes, a scary time that, that happily ended, that ended all right. Yeah. Um, uh, Steven Universe is created by Rebecca Sugar. Yes. Um, and Rebecca Sugar drew one of the, one of my all-time favorite comics. Oh, yes, yes, yes. A, um, called, um, what, Ta- I don't know it's, what it's called, but it's where they talk in Simpson quotes, right? Every, all the dialogue is Simpson quotes. I think a hundred percent of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's well, some narration the, that's not. Yeah, the narration is not, but the it's a Barney quote is the title. It's like something, something, I'm already dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From his like art film that he enters into something. And when... Uh, Don't when cry it? for me, I'm already Don't dead. Don't cry I for think. me, I'm already dead. And it's like two brothers who both love The Simpsons and they quote The Simpsons to each other all the time. And then one of them gets in a serious car accident but and can only still speak Simpson quotes. And it's like seven pages. It is... And it's drawn in this very pronounced style. It's very abstract and weird. And it is so moving and silly. I burst into tears the first time I read it. And it's incredible. And she was just like a student or something. And it, But it got around. It was like, oh, you got to see this like comic. Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. Yeah. You sent it to me. I remember you sending it to me and, and I this, loved it. And I was like, who is this? And then like a couple years later, like, and I think she worked, she worked on Adventure Time. Yes, that's and right. And then like Steven Universe started and it was like created by Rebecca Sugar. And based on the Simpsons comic, I was like, this Steven Universe show is going to be great. Because yeah. it's the person, it's the genius you did. Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. And I was right. Uh, I, I'm, you know, dead mom stuff gets me all the time uh yeah dead, dead mom stuff is uh, uh an easy i'm an easy target for it yeah um but steven universe is also just legitimately also great just but it's good regardless of that it's just very weird to have like a 10 minute kids cartoon that's starts off so silly yeah and then become this cartoon that has made me cry uh, six or seven there's a song on that show that makes me cry every time uh that i hear it and it's just like well this is, is it from their musical episode there's lots of musical episodes uh, okay. but not the all musical episode there's an episode where pearl the sort of the fastidious gem is training steven's best friend slash love interest uh how to sword fight and the song is all about uh pearl um it's basically talking about how like look people don't think you can fight because you're weak but you're going to do it because you love somebody because pearl is was like a secretary gem who learned to fight to protect steven's mother and he and she loved steven's mother and it's heartbroken that steven's mother died and fell in love with somebody else But she's still, you know, so it's like this song basically about where Pearl is like, um, I'm willing to die for this person. But also in the song, she's talking to this human being and and in the song, the human being starts singing along with it. And she's like, I'm worthless. All I'm good for is dying for this person. And it's such a heartbreaking story for both of them to feel that way. Uh, And Stephen sort of watching it, he hates it and stops it eventually because he's like, this isn't, I don't want this. I don't want you to die for me. It's not what I don't, I would never ask anyone to do that, but like that they both feel that way. It's just, it's a brutally well-written song where I don't necessarily relate to those feelings yeah. in that way, but I can't not feel it. It's written oh, so well. Wow. I, I mean, Rebecca Sugar and everyone who works on that show, incredible. Yeah. Massive talent. Uh, Really, really fun. I don't know if I have an example as good as that. Um, um The first thing, I'll just say the first thing I thought of was uh, the comic book Zot by <laughs> Scott McCloud. Uh, which went for 10 issues of this like alternate universe where it's like a sunny 1950s thing where the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad and good stuff always happens. And then Jenny is this girl from our earth who visits there and she's – she can't believe there's no cynicism there or whatever. But then after the 10 issues in color on Zot's world, they move to black and white issues in Jenny's world where Zot, this like idealist do-gooder character – has to reckon with like all of Jenny's real life problems of like divorce and being left out and being bullied. Multiple times in that, in that comic series, I felt like this is the real world. I was blown away by it. So I will say Zot's black and white issues um, are the ones where I felt in different ways represented and seen the kids were doing their best. The adults were bad, but not a hundred percent bad. It was just like broken people doing their best and failing. And I was like, this is the real world. This is like, Nobody was 100% bad or good I felt and I was yeah. really Scott McCloud is most famous for doing understanding comics the sort of academic examination of the mechanics of comic books but he also is the creator of Zot and I think Zot is I think that's what he should be known for I think it's an, it's amazing Yeah it's it's sort of a, a sad that he didn't get to do or that he did, chose not to do more comics comic comics, yeah. comics. Um, but he I mean, did. He did one terrific one, and that's more than a lot of people do. So uh, I mean, he does what he wants to do. Uh, yeah. Steve, who asked us this question, uh it's also Will Macaroni on the What's in the Box show. Oh, that's okay. the show you do with Chris Gathard and Christy Cello. Yeah, that's right. I, I love it. It's truly um, one of the most fun games I've ever seen. What's in the box? In a completely <laughs> insane and unwinnable game. I mean, not totally uh, unwinnable, but like insane. I'm gonna do. Uh, we got a bunch here. I'm gonna do. Three more, because I think we can do them quick. Okay. Or two of them are very quick. Uh, this one's from William Dunbar. It's pretty recent. Have you guys seen the huge new huge Daily Bugle set from Lego? Uh, have you seen this one? No. You got to Google it. It's an enormous Lego set of the Daily Bugle. It comes with 25 minifigures, including J. Jonah Jameson, the rest of the Daily Bugle crew. No enforcers, unfortunately, but maybe next time. It is enormous. Yes, if we're planning to get it. I am not. Uh, my son plays with Legos, but uh, we get him like small kits. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to get him a giant set. Uh, he will just knock it down. Uh, and I would—I don't know where you put things like that. People who have keep Lego sets all the way up. I'm just like, wow, you must have huge houses. <laughs> anyway, it's worth—it's worth googling because it is in a ridiculously fun-looking set. That sounds cool. Here's one from Kelly. It's a long one, so I'm going to uh, read it a little fast. Uh, just There's no question here, but I think it's interesting. We get a lot of emails like this. Uh, I started listening to your podcast after hearing Will on how did this get played. I mm-hmm. uh, started reading the old Ditko Spidey comics along with uh, your podcast and ultimately was inspired to follow a longtime childhood dream of mine. I turned 50 a week ago and I started reading almost exclusively Marvel Comics in the early 80s. And I could only wonder at the 20 years or so of lore that I'd never know. When the official handbook of the Marvel universe was published, I devoured them and the richly vivid character histories they revealed. Even though I started with the book of the dead and inactive as as my morbid way. Well, I'm a middle-aged man of some small means and an iPad now. So I decided I was reading Spider-Man that I should sign on to Marvel Unlimited and simply read the main Marvel universe. What with it being actual possibility now and all, what Marvel Unlimited couldn't provide due to licensing, Micronauts, Rom, Space Knight, Conan the Barbarian, many limited series, and so on. I'm finding through other sources a surprising amount of access to all those mysteries and unknown tales. Also, harder reading than I expected. Uh, one, expletive deleted Ant-Man. I guess he doesn't like Ant-Man. Two, more talking than I expected, even though it's pitched at this time at this time towards ten-year-olds. Three. It took more years than I thought for Marvel to really find its footing. Hmm. Still, the writing and art were more evocative than I'd expected. And even when it was weak, uh, uh, Ant-Man, I was having a good time seeing the foundations and evolutions of these characters, along with your podcast, now one of my favorites. I've moved from the 60s up to June 1973, and I'm really enjoying the sudden depth and range the decade has ushered in. Let's just say you can really tell when the Comics Code relaxed its stance on monsters in comics— the renewed emphasis on social issues and diversity, albeit through the unpolished and foggy lens of the 70s, took me by a pleasant surprise. It might be heavy-handed, but Marvel pushed social issues and justice hard from the beginning, and people who complain that Marvel should stop pushing social justice warrior politics are almost as bizarrely un- unself-aware as Star Trek fans complaining about the same thing. Uh I've just got, I got to so many exciting stories and characters, not least of all uh, the appropriately physics-based death of Gwen Stacy. I wanted to thank you, Fine Milk Stops, for aspiring to me to follow through on a kid's dream. I have a bad feeling I'm not going to stop in the early 80s as planned. And you know what? That's just fine. Like <laughs> the man said, make mine Marvel. It's from Samuel, uh, full-grown adult. A lot of people email saying they're reading all of the Marvel comics, which is why I wanted to read this email. Uh, that's Interesting. an enormous undertaking. An enormous task. And a lot of them aren't good, right? Like I feel like, There's a lot of great, great stuff in there and a lot of like just filler stuff where they were sort of just they had to grind out an issue or whatever. And yeah, I mean, they weren't planning on these comics being around forever. No one thought. Yeah, they were reading for that month only. Yeah, they weren't building Ant-Man to hold up a a mythology later. Yeah, no one thought that even Spider-Man, which is great. Like no one thought in 2020 people are still going to be reading these same stories. Right. They'll be reading whatever's new at that point. Yeah, Uh, Collections weren't a thing. Marvel Unlimited was not a thing. Movies based on these characters was not a thing. Uh, So they were just putting stuff out to make a buck sometimes. Some stuff they cared about more than others. when people read it all, it it, it boggles my mind. It seems cool to me, but I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. But uh, thank you so much for being inspired by anything we did and for telling us about it. Um, great, and I'm gonna do one last one, which means we'll have to do another one of these episodes soon. Well, because we still have five emails that can and whatever we get in the next couple of weeks. This is from Dan or Daniel. Uh, hello, milksops. Long time, first time. My wife and I are big fans of your shows. Um, another, couple, another couple. We get a lot of couples. Yeah. Yeah. And the recent first. We're kind of we're kind of we're kind of love gods. Yeah, we're sort of like a, a cupid. <laughs> we bring couples closer together. Yeah, uh, that is a given. <laughs> There's something about us. We are a um, uh, uh, Spanish fly. <laughs> <laughs> That's like sex stuff, right? That's like an aphrodisiac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like horny goat weed. <laughs> <laughs> this bit has gone awry. Uh, on the recent first X-Men mailbag, in insane format, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. You were talking about the in, uh, indelible impact of the movies on the comics, citing specifically Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. I think Jackman was a great Wolverine, Logan, way too tall, but oh well. I don't want to take anything away from his performance or contribution to the character. When Kevin said I I pointed out the line every time in regards to if it hurts when his claws pop, it reminded me of a scene in Wolverine 75. So this is 1993, he thinks. That always stuck with me, and it's the encapsulation of what I think people love about the character. The scene is at the end of an extra thick anniversary issue that sees the aftermath of Magneto pulling the adamantium from his skeleton. The issue is full of violent, savage imagery, but the last few pages are a conversation with and letter to Jubilee. Uh, Jubilee is like a young teen girl that he's sort of a father figure to. Uh, It's a very sweet moment when she's getting advice from Logan, and there's an exchange that includes something really similar to the every timeline. Also, a butterfly lands on one of his gnarled bone claws. It effing rules. Anyway, all of this is just to say, I think the game for Wolverine for a long time has been to play with that contrast. Wolverine is the most skilled killer in the world, the best at what he does, but damn it, he's got a heart. Love you guys. Uh, and that's true, definitely. That yeah. uh, I sort of credited that scene with a lot of it, but I think I mostly meant like for me, uh, I may have said this differently, but I, for me, it made me see Wolverine in a different light. If that existed in the comics, I had not seen that, having not read a lot of the Claremont X-Men. Right, And his guest star appearance is not really carrying that. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Wolverine often gets like he and Kitty Pride had a relationship too. Right. Uh, uh, he often gets paired with like young girl characters where he's protecting them. Yeah. Wolverine Kitty Pride was like a four issue miniseries, I think, or something. Like yeah. That. And then he had it again with Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Do you also hear these like, sirens on my side. I heard a little bit of them. Yeah. Okay. And then it was also um, uh, the second Wolverine movie has that little bit of it going on and logan of course has it with x23 yeah so definitely a part of x uh, wolverine to do that where do you put Um, logan in your ranking of superhero movies um i don't hold it as highly as most people i like it a lot um it didn't i I put it high i've seen it um, three times and i'd watch it again right now i've only seen it once though i also really liked the wolverine the second wolverine movie a lot more than most people i think that the uh, first Wolverine offensive. movie is like universally bad, right? That was like this kind of tossed off, not good thing. The Wolverine origins movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's atrocious. And then the next one is like pretty good. And that's, that's the same guy who does Logan, James Mangold, right? Uh, yeah. I think the Wolverine is really good. The ending sequence is sort of a little generic CGI yeah. fight going on there. But other than that scene, I love all that movie. Yeah. I like, I like Hugh Jackman in that movie a lot. I think he gets some nice stuff to do. I like the characters in it. Um, the the, they're just both really fun characters. Like there's the, the girl that comes to recruit him and then the girl he falls in love with. And I like both of them. I think they're both really great, fleshed out, interesting characters. Um, the fight on the top of the train is really good. So I, I hold that movie up higher than most people and Logan down closer to that. Like I think Logan's better, but not by a lot. I like them both a lot. Those two movies. So cool. I don't, I can't do a ranking of all superhero movies anymore. Cause it's There's too uh, many. There's too many. It's too many. So uh, wonder, wonder is probably still my favorite. It's a great one. Yeah. Um. Any, any thoughts on Wolverine before we go? Well, I like him. All right. I, I don't think he's got legs, but okay. (laughs) Uh, So that's the end of our mailbag for this week, Will. Um, We will do mailbags. Two is over. Uh, We'll do another one soon. Uh, Please keep emailing us screwitcomics at gmail, screwitcomics on Twitter, screwitcomics on Instagram. And uh, Uh, yeah, come back next week. We'll be talking about Superior Spider Man issues seven, four. Four to seven. Um, Yeah, let me look it up real quick. Uh, It'll be issues. Because we just did one, one, two, and three. Oh, so right. So it'll be four, five, and six. We'll be focusing on five, talking about four and six as well. All right. So then after that, we'll do seven, eight, nine, and ten after that. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Comics. Oh, hello, you. What's up, pose? I'm Mary Kay McBrayer. I'm Mary Amelia Bayer. I'm Rachel Estridge. And we like scary movies. Let's be more specific. We like analyzing scary movies. Okay, but let's be a little bit more specific. We like making fun of scary movies. Let's be even more specific. We have to make fun of scary movies so that we can sleep at night. We host a horror comedy podcast called Everything Trying to Kill You that rips all your fave horror movies a new one. And bonus, we'll tell you jokes from the perspectives of... Feminist ethnic minorities. And queer women. Which might be something you haven't considered before. Sure looks like Hollywood hasn't. So check out Everything Trying to Kill You. New episodes every other Friday on Campfire Media. Campfire.